Well, good morning, church. We are in our third week of this sermon series that we're calling What Got Us Here Won't Get Us There. And that, that title, I think, carries with it the, the primary focus that we've had, which is just to be honest as a church and as followers of Christ with how much not only our world has changed compared to the world I grew up in, but how fast the world continues to change. That as soon as we seem to kind of figure things out and get our bearings, it's like the map completely changes in front of us again. And in a situation like that, where you realize that's kind of what we're dealing with, it's what we're up against, we, we got to ask ourselves, okay, in light of that, what kinds of, of skills do we need to develop as God's people trying to reach that world that's, that's constantly changing? What kinds of questions do we need to be wrestling with? What kind of choices do we need to make in order to be as effective as we possibly can in sharing the goodness, the, the grace, the mercy, the hope, the promise, the, the message of the gospel that we not only believe in or listen to or talk about, but it's a gospel that we're called to live out in relationship to other people. How do we, how do we deal with all that? And I, I know as I list all of those different ideas and questions and thoughts that it can be a little bit overwhelming. At least it can be a little overwhelming for me. Because at times it feels like what God is asking us to do is nearly impossible as we, we face the facts that the world just isn't listening to us the way maybe we thought the world used to listen to us. Or the world isn't open to us in ways that we, we give anything to be able to, to reach out and share this, this life-transforming news that we believe that we carry. So we've talked about, right, over the last couple of weeks, what are the different choices we, we probably need to make in order for us to be effective in the midst of all of, of these new challenges? And the first thing we talked about is, you know, I, I think we probably need to figure out how to be a church that chooses connection over content, that, that for a long time, growing up in the Churches of Christ, I was really focused on making sure that we let people know in the world that we were the, the one group that had true content that they could trust, and that's why they should spend time with us. That's why they should come to our churches. That's why they should attend Bible class and worship, and, and true content is absolutely important, but you don't need a church community to, to find that kind of content. You can find it anywhere. You need a church community in order to live out the truth of the gospel, which is not just this abstract idea that God wants to heal all the broken relationships in our lives, but it's experiencing that healing. You need a church community to feel that. You need other people in your life to help you make those connections. Because if we're not careful, we will obsess about having the right content and, and editing it and, and filming it and offering it to the world, acting like the content itself is where the transformation is going to happen. But it always happens within a relationship, within that connection. The, the next week we talked about being a church that chooses dedication over distraction in a world that is constantly offering us a hundred different things to pay attention to instead of what we're actually doing. Right? In a world where too often we expect to kind of have a half-hearted commitment to something but then have deep satisfaction from that experience, we just want to tell the truth that, that the quality of our dedication 
to being followers of Christ that's going to directly impact our satisfaction, our sense of meaning and purpose as followers of Christ. If we're, if we're really only partway dedicated, if, if we're only halfway committed, we should be disappointed in our experience of what it means to be in a church community. We, we should be a little bit bored. We should have this sense that there's more to this than we're currently getting to experience. And this, this morning, I want us to add another choice, an intentional decision that we need to make as a church family, and that is that, that I'm convinced in a world like ours, we need to choose responding over reacting. Now, this is a four-week series, and in the first two weeks, we're kind of thinking about church And in the last two weeks, we're going to be focusing on our relationship as individual Christians and collectively as a church family. How are we going to relate to the world? And I think it starts here. Doesn't it kind of feel like everyone you're around is just a raw nerve? Like they're already just about to lose it. And then you show up with an opinion, with a suggestion, with an article, right? With a, with a news report. You show up and, and you just innocently, and you, why would you do this? Because you've done this before, right? But you do it again to yourself. You just kind of meander lightly into a conversation that, Maybe five years ago, your friendship could have survived. But now, that person is, is dealing with so much stuff and there's so much stress and so much anxiety that you start to say, hey, I, I came across this the other day. What do you think? And it just, right then, you realize, if you could go back 35 seconds, you'd, you'd give anything to go back and say, you know what, let's just talk about something else. Something I know before we start visiting, we already agree about it. We live in a world, I'm convinced of this, where more and more of us are addicted to outrage. It makes us feel alive. It gets our our heart pumping. It gets our pulse rate up. And we start to get addicted to that that sense of, man, this is worth going nuclear over. Whatever it is. You know, I... I'm shocked at how often I underestimate someone's ability to freak out on me. I'm shocked at how often I underestimate my ability to freak out over nothing at all. I don't even know. You could start talking to me in the middle of a Tuesday about something, and you could start the sentence, and I think we're fine. And then all of a sudden, you say something, and it's like, "Uh uh-oh. I need to roll my sleeves up because we're going to have it out right here, right now. Now, verbally, 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 right? I've never won a physical fight in my life, and I'm pretty sure I couldn't. (laughs) Am I the only person who feels like everybody's just on edge? Every time, as, as a church leadership, we have to meet to talk about doing anything, I mean anything, We carry with us all this anxiety that it doesn't matter what we do. 
it's going to really frustrate and offend somebody. And that too often in our culture now, the way we maintain unity is by agreeing about everything all the time. And if we realize there's a disagreement, it may mean that we can't stay in a relationship with one another and so we're just not going to bring it up and we're not going to talk about it and we're just going to focus on the things we know we agree on. That's not just true in church. It's, it's true in every human institution. It's true in every community I'm aware of. We are getting to the point of deciding ahead of time that if somebody disagrees with me, they're my enemy. They're what's wrong with the world. It's their fault, and I'm done. And there's got to be a place in this world where you can come and people tell you when you're coming in the door, hey, we're not going to agree about everything here. We're going to talk about everything. We're going to pray about everything. We're still not going to agree about everything, but you know what? You're still welcome here. Do you know how countercultural that would be in this, this, this moment in time? In a world that's addicted to outrage to get to come to a place, not where they say, hey, we're going to maintain unity if we all express our thoughts exactly the same way, but if we, up, oh, just coming in the door. Yeah, you know what? We're not going to. In fact, we, we want you to know up front, we're just not, that's not the goal. The goal isn't to maintain unity. Through our own efforts and through our own way of enforcing how people think and what they say and what their, what their opinion is. We're not doing that because there's too much at stake. And God has called us to something deeper than that. It's not unity that can only be maintained through everybody having the same exact perspective on everything is a sad excuse for the unity that Jesus died for. You think Jesus died so we could leave our churches because we have political disagreements? I'm pretty sure he didn't die so that we would do that. You think Jesus gave his life so that when something strikes us just a little bit off and somebody's doing their best job to try to communicate something but they, they have a different history and they have a different perspective and they end up saying it in a slightly different way? You think somebody's saying, okay, I'm done, that's why Jesus died? I'm tired of taking an hour and a half to try to write emails to people so that they won't leave if they disagree with me. I'm sick and tired of it. I don't, I don't like all of you all the time. I don't like me most of the time. <laughs> but I love you enough that when, and it's not my love, it's, my, it's the love that Jesus died to share with me that I decide even if you annoy me. And again, I annoy myself pretty often. If, if ever anybody catches me on film and I watch it for about three and a half minutes, I annoy myself. There's too much at stake for us to break faith when community and unity get hard get difficult, get challenging. Jesus died to help us fight through those moments together. Not fight against one another, but fight through those moments together. 
I'm convinced that if the church could become a calm place in an outraged world, the world would come to us. But if all we're doing is having the same kinds of arguments, it's just different content, we're ugly, we, we unfriend people, we kick people out of our lives, if we're just doing that for different for different, you know, lists of things we agree with or we don't agree with, if, if we're fighting in the same way the world fights and we just think at some point they're going to wake up and agree with us, what we don't realize is that's the problem. The church isn't supposed to remind the world of itself. With a Jesus-y surface-level appearance that they know isn't soul deep, that's not going to change anybody. It's not going to save anybody. So here's, here's what I'll, I'll do. I'll give us a basic definition of reaction and response. By the way, there hadn't been a sermon in 20 years of preaching. Uh, there hadn't been a sermon I've ever preached where I struggle more with what I'm talking about. I, I'll just tell you right now, I'm not living this out yet. I really, really wrestle with this. I, am, I, I, I react far more than I respond. Reaction, our immediate knee-jerk behavior in light of what's happening. Response, our unhurried intentional behavior in light of what we would like to see happen. Now, I'm not saying all knee-jerk reactions are bad. There's times you instantly react and, and it actually turns out okay. You end up doing the right thing. I'm not saying every response is automatically wise. There's times where you might take the time, you'd be unhurried, and you'd be intentional, and it'd be selfish. I'm not saying all reactions are bad and all responses are good. I'm saying that most of the time in my life, what I end up regretting are my reactions far more than my responses. I don't even know where my reactions come from half the time. I don't know why I freaked out over this one little thing. I, I'm telling you, if you care about me, and by the way, I find this to be annoying, but if you care about me, you want to know the main thing you say to me most often, those of you who know me well, you know exactly what I'm going to say. Hey, hey, calm down. I, if I go back to my growing up, my parents more than anything else, my dad tried to come up with different ways to tell me, dude, you are, you are, you you got problems and you need to calm down. You care too much about things that aren't that big of a deal. You know? And, and then there'd be times he'd be freaking out and I'd say, Dad, look, you taught me. And he'd say, yeah, I know, you're like me in ways that annoy me. Cut it out. You know, and when someone tells you to calm down, it can feel dismissive, and maybe sometimes that's what they're being. But in other ways, people, people who care deeply about you, who can see from a, from a few steps back that you've blown this problem up into this global issue that's going to ruin everything, and they say to you, you need to calm down. Could you just, just take a breath? It's going to be okay. I think most of the time, our immediate knee-jerk reaction is an is a behavior that proves that we trust ourselves more than God to solve our problems. We react out of that fear that someone's got to do something and it's got to be me. What would it mean for us to respond 
out of a sense of, of confidence that we can't fix what's broken in our world by conquering our world. God's going to fix what's broken in our world. God's going to heal what's broken in our world when we trust God more than ourselves to do it. And we look for ways where it's starting to happen and we join in. In 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 9, Peter writes, Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. That's not your knee-jerk reaction, right? Your knee-jerk reaction is to to get even. He says, respond with a blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing for whoever among you would love life and see good days must keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And he knows somebody would say, well, somebody's going to harm us. So he says, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. And then he gets to the heart of how we react and why we react. Don't fear them. Don't fear their threats. Don't be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it's God's will. Now, Peter's not saying it's always God's will, but he says it is better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Look, if I had to boil down what Peter's saying here, it's that we are not called to win the culture wars at any cost. We're called to invite people to follow the Prince of Peace, no matter the cost. And brothers and sisters, I'm just gonna be honest to you, with you. I'm afraid that we have forgotten who we're called to be in relationship to the world. And that we think it's our job to win to overcome, to to be able to call all the shots. In other words, what I'm afraid we have done without knowing it is we have replaced the cross of Christ on the altar of power. And then we call that Jesus. This has always been a danger throughout all of time that, that we end up without knowing it, we are We're worshiping a false version of God that's more palatable to us than we are worshiping the one true God. God doesn't promise us that in the end we're going to get to call all the shots. God promises us that in the end his kingdom will come in its fullness. And there's not going to be factions and sides. There's going to be a kingdom that we all get to be in. And the one thing that we always have to remind ourselves is we're in a kingdom and we are most definitely never ever going to be the king. We already have a king. Jesus is our king. 
right, in our hearts revere Jesus as Lord. The proclamation Jesus is Lord is not just that I believe in Jesus and and I want to be like him. That's all there. The declaration of Jesus is Lord, they declared that in a world where you only said that any other time. You said Caesar is Lord, which was a way to say he's in charge. He's calling the shots. So when Peter says, no, in your hearts revere Christ as Lord, that means in your hearts you remind yourself in a world that feels like it's moving farther and farther away from the world God wants it to be, even against the evidence of my eyes that some other wrong group of people is in charge right now, in my heart, I'm going to declare God is king. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit is reigning. Maybe I don't see it yet. Maybe I don't understand it yet. But we are not on our own trying to win some war. We're trying to live lives that are marked by the, by the way of life of the Prince of Peace. Now, I want to be clear about the Prince of Peace, that whole idea of, of seeking peace and per, pursuing it. Peace is not the absence of, of conflict. Peace is the presence of wholeness in our relationships and in our lives. It's, it's the deepest form of what life can be. That's what peace means in the Bible. It's not avoiding conflict just because we're afraid of it. It's it's not settling for the way things are. Jesus changed the world, but he never never got ugly and violent and aggressive to do it. He simply lived a different life that nobody else could, could deny. They saw it and they had to respond to it one way or the other. They either responded by saying, I want to live that way too, or they responded by saying, I don't ever want to have to be that convicted again. I want to find a way to silence this life. Look, I guess what I'm trying to say here is the church was was never designed to force its way on the world. The The church has always been designed to show the world a better way. And the only way that's going to happen is in how we interact with people. If we try to just get away from people and and stay at a safe distance, we're not following the example of Jesus. We're, We're going to have to stand against things. We're going to have to say, you know what? We can't agree with that. We're going to have times when we don't agree with one another, but we have to figure out a way how to hold on to people tighter than they hold on to their own opinions. To hold on to people in a deeper way than they hold on to their own perspectives. To realize that if there really is something that we need to see differently, how else would God help us stand in a new place unless he brings somebody into our community that helps us stand there with them? I need you to be different from me. I need you to think different from me. I need you to experience God in ways I never have before so that you could call me to experience it myself. What I don't need you to do is force your way of thinking on me. And I don't know if you you realize this, people don't appreciate it. So they run from it. Look, at the end of the day, the reality here is this is about our behavior more than it's about our ideas. We focus too much on making sure that all the ideas are right and they're lined up and and we feel good about how we're expressing them and that's all a part of our faith. But in the end, the final analysis, God is not gonna ask you what did you think about me. God's gonna ask you what did you do that reminded other people of me. What did you do 
Who were you good to that nobody else was good to? Who did you forgive nobody else gave the, the effort to try to forgive? Who did you include that no other community would include? We ought to be people who are constantly trying our best to understand that when we come to church, when we open our, our Bibles, when we open our hearts in prayer, that it doesn't matter how much we've already been changed like Jesus, we're not there yet. I'm sick and tired of, of being tempted myself and knowing how much everybody in this room is tempted to simply go to places in Scripture that already justify what we're doing. Or we find articles that already justify our behavior. Or we find some opinion piece that already props up what I want to do anyway. Grace is not settling for who you are. Grace is a safety net to try on something brand new. I'm not frustrated with you. I'm frustrated with me. I'm just, I, I want to be honest with you. As much as I possibly can be, it's difficult. You know, it's not like it's just me and one other person here. I spent too much of my life thinking the way I was going to save the world was by setting it straight. And by setting it straight, I meant I was going to teach everybody to think the way I think. And, and in trying to get ready to, to get everybody to think the way I think, I've distanced myself from them. I've argued with them. I've, I've decided that if they don't already want to listen to what I have to say, then there's really no reason for me to spend any time with I, All of this stuff in my heart and in my life, I've come to the place where what I'm, I'm mostly worried about when I wake up in the morning is, how am I going to find a way in all that I'm doing? How am I going to find a way to help somebody who's about to give up, throw in the towel, decide they're not loved or accepted by anyone else? How would I help them experience the generous, kind, patient welcome of Christ? How would I do it? How would you do it? I, I want to give you just three things to try this week. It's, it's kind of where I'm, I'm wrestling with all this right now. The first is, if we're going to respond instead of react, and you're going to be provoked all the time this week, to react. So how would you be, be more faithful in your response to that? The first is, seek to understand more than you seek to be understood. I know it's just words on a screen, but if this week that's what you'd really focus on is, is not trying to figure out how to dismantle the other person's point of view or their argument, but actually listen, and not just to their words, but listen to their heart. What are they really trying to say? Give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not Hitler in disguise. Right? That they, they, they mean something. They're trying to help you see something that maybe you don't see. What would it mean for you to slow down enough to say, wait a minute, I'm not sure that I'm hearing you. Help me understand where you're coming from. Again, it doesn't matter if you end up agreeing with them at the end of the conversation. I want you to figure out how to hold on to people more than they hold on to their own opinions. You know, take a literal deep breath before you act, speak, text, send, or post. All these studies have shown that if you'll just take a moment to breathe and count to three while you're breathing... Because, you know, if you can breathe in half a second, that's not a deep breath. A lot of horrible things that get said, you realize in just, just a few seconds, you know what? This isn't, this isn't what I actually want to do. This isn't how I want to treat this person. This isn't how I want to express myself. 
take a breath. And then this, this last one, I, you know, it comes from Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. Nate, if you could bring that up. I, you know, Paul says, look, be strong in the Lord. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the Democrats. I'm sorry, the, the devil's schemes. You fill in the blank there. Who do you put in there? Who are you taking a stand against? Who are you trying to take the world back from? Where's our struggle? It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The person you disagree with, the person that you struggle to, they're not your enemy. They are not your enemy. Your neighbor is not your enemy. Your neighbor is a dearly loved child of God. And we either honor that in them or we don't. And I used to say, I've said this before, you only love God as much as the person you love the least. Just challenging enough. Let me tell you this. The way you treat the people you hate is how you're treating Jesus. Didn't, didn't he tell us that? Whatever you do to these brothers and sisters of yours you're doing to me, we focus on it because he's saying, you know, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, you're doing it to me. The other side of it's true. It's just a lot more uncomfortable. You are treating God the way you're treating his children. Our struggle is not against each other. If you'd have told me that we could ruin churches and friendships and relationships because of mask wearing, I would have never believed you. Not in a thousand million years. I would have said, we're we're more mature than that. Are we? I didn't sleep last week. The night before we sent an email out to this church asking you to consider wearing a mask because I was afraid of who we were going to lose in this church community over mask wearing. And I get it. I get that none of us like to be told what to do. I I get it that we feel like maybe the government or some other thing is forcing us or that we can't trust science or, or the people who speak for science. Or I could list all the layers. I've heard all the rhetoric. Right? My scientists are real scientists. Yours are, you know, some 14-year-old with a computer. Nah, I like 14-year-olds. <laughs> Our struggle is not against one another. It's not. And when we choose to divide over things that it, it's just because we don't agree, guess what? We weren't created to agree. We were created to have this diversity of thought and vision and experience and love each other beyond the disagreements. That's why Jesus died. Jesus died to help us understand what we do to one another when we break faith. Jesus was living, breathing love. And what did we do to that? We strung it up and killed it. Because we, we thought that our neighbor was our enemy. 
when our neighbor turned out to be God in disguise. We have got to be an oasis in a world that is dividing and tearing itself apart over differences of opinion. I know they're strong, but I want to hold on to you tighter than you hold on to your opinions. And it's going to take God to help me do that. And I just want to go to a church where even though we're not doing it perfectly, we're saying, look, we're doing everything we can to try. We're going to do our best and we're going to trust that God will help carry us the rest of the way. I don't care if you agree with me about everything. The only thing I need you to agree with me on is, is that we love Jesus and we're trying to be like him. That's it. And even if you don't agree with that, I'm going to treat you like a dearly loved child of God because that's who you are even if you don't know it yet. I'm just so tired of being afraid to open my email, of being afraid to open up Facebook, of being afraid to figure out who doesn't, who's lost it and who I've lost I want us to find a way forward together. I want us to chase after peace and pursue it. Not because we've cracked the code, but just because we're saying, I know we don't agree. We're never going to totally agree. It's okay. It's not a flaw. It's a feature. Because it helps us be the fullness of the body of Christ in the world. Here, here's my encouragement. Find a way to do one of these things this week. That's enough. Three things is, is more than enough. Just start somewhere. And here's what I, I want to encourage you to do. Keep holding on to people. We're going to get through this. We're going to get through this moment that's been so difficult. And I just want to make sure that we don't break our relationships in the meantime because we have to, we have to be right. I want us to hold on. It's what Jesus died and rose again to prove it. it it's possible with God it is possible. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I want you to open your heart to that possibility. That we're God's children, that everybody are dearly loved children of God, and we can learn again how to treat each other in such a way where it honors who we are as followers of Jesus. Would you join with me now as we stand and sing?